Welcome to The Slow Crafted Life, a podcast that explores how to craft an intentional, thriving life while still living your environmental and social values. Listen to inspiring stories of people living their values, succeeding at life, doing good in the world, and inspiring real change. This is The Slow Crafted Life. Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Slow Crafted Life with your host, Sundown Hazen. This month, we're focusing on ways our listeners can shift their own purchases to reduce waste and also support businesses that care for our planet and the people on it. So it only makes sense that we'd be welcoming Jesse Arteague onto the show today. She is a brilliant polymath who has designed and launched an eco-friendly clothing line, styling and life coach practice, hosts both on-air and in-person events, consults about business strategy and content for major brands, including Amazon, Diet Coke, Kate Spade, and Nordstrom and has a few successful podcasts of her own, including an award-winning podcast with her husband called Marriage is Funny. She first became well-known within the New York fashion scene through her successful blog, but her keen business insight, fun personality, and willingness to lean on the vulnerability of true relationship have all had their hand in helping her to design a vibrant life full of both work and play, often mixed together to create a flavorful, rich life. Welcome to the show, Jesse. Oh my goodness, that is clearly the best welcome I could ever possibly imagine. And I feel so welcome. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. This is so fun. Uh, we love sharing great stories like yours. And I oh, want to jump right in so sure. our guests today get all the information they can from you. Okay. Uh, all right. Are you ready? So First ready, question, so Diane von Furstenberg, and forgive me if I mispronounced her name, has said of you, quote, she understands that a woman's boldness can be documented by the way that they dress. Fashion and beauty have become such a means of self-expression and really personal branding. How do you balance fashion with living an eco-friendly and financially sustainable lifestyle? Hmm. How about that for a softball? <laughs> That, yeah, I mean, why don't we just dive right in, right? No, no messing around here. Nope. <laughs> One of the things that I, I love most about that quote uh, is the, the idea behind it, in my opinion, is expression is one of the things that's really at the heart of how we dress and, and obviously fashion being a huge part of that. And so um, one of the things that it's going to be fun to see how it plays out in the course of our conversation, I think, is this idea that our values become a part of that expression. And for those of us who, you know, fall into the category of being people who um, want to live uh, an environmentally friendly life, I, obviously that becomes a value that, that we can then use um, to kind of guide some of the principles of how we decide on what to buy, what to wear, and how we end up expressing ourselves through fashion. And so um, in terms of there being a balance to answer your specific question, um, I mean, obviously, I personally have some guidelines that I sort of try to follow in terms of the way that I shop and dress. But um, I think that fashion sometimes is one of the like forgotten parts of our lives uh, in terms of how it relates to the environment. And um, it doesn't need to be that way. And luckily, the industry is showing us that there's opportunity to be had there, but I think there's a lot of education 
needed still. And so that's one of the things that we're trying to do with Season, my brand, and also um, just in discussions with great people like yourself. Well, thank you. And fashion is not an area of my expertise, <laughs> but in as I look out at the glo- you know, the situations that we mm-hmm. face, mm-hmm. it is an area that you, I'm glad you're taking advantage of the opportunity because it does have a huge impact on the environment. And for me, is the human environment, right? Mm-hmm. And the labor force mm-hmm. that goes through that as well. So you mm-hmm. mentioned you have some values that you use when you go shopping. And so what yeah. are some of those frameworks that you use when you purchase products or when you recommend them for your clients? Well, one of the first and like basic, this is going to sound maybe super obvious, but I think um, something that I encourage all of my clients to consider. And then this one, I, I stick to pretty, pretty closely when it comes to my personal shopping is, um, well, actually there's, I would say it's twofold. And the first thing is uh, pretty specific and that that goes for where you're actually gonna be finding whatever item it is that you're shopping for. I always, always, always try to shop first from a secondhand situation. So whether it's a thrift store, a garage sale, consignment stores, any of the online apps now that you can use. I mean, obviously back in the day when I first started um, realizing that our our purchases, especially as it relates to fashion, have so much power. But of course, you know that that applies to a lot of different areas of our lives. Back in the day when I first started realizing that one of the only places to really buy used fashion online was eBay. So this is like 20 some years ago. You know, eBay was a big market for that either um, you know, m- my taste specifically back then was I was shopping for a lot of vintage clothes. I collect vintage pieces. And so I got into it because it felt fun. And I was, I was attracted to, to it from like a, an aesthetic standpoint. But then when I realized that a lot of times, um, you know, there's just as fabulous finds to be had in other areas. Um, like I said, whether it be a thrift store or a local consignment store, what have you. Um, I always try to encourage people to shop in those spots first mm-hmm. as a way to keep mm-hmm. items out of landfills and other such places that they go to die. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Apparel and accessories are one of the huge, one of the huge, huge sources of waste um, in, on our planet. I was going to say in our country, but it, it really is global at this point. Um, and in terms of the production of new pieces, apparel and accessories is second to oil the oil industry, um, the amount of waste and the amount of pollution that happens because people are constantly needing new clothes is, um, well, it's tragic. I, I don't mean to use that as such a, a strong word. I, I'm, I mean it very intentionally. So shopping secondhand, I think, can be something that anyone can try and is an easy, easy way, almost like a gateway drug, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and then the other piece, uh, the, the second kind of qualifier that I always use is what's going to be my cost per wear of this item so you know if i'm buying like i think of special occasion items as being a place where this often like goes out the window but this is where i'm really strict with myself so if you get invited to a wedding or a special occasion and you feel like oh i have to get a new new dress for that or a new suit for that whatever it may be um it's so easy to feel like the pressure around finding something new to wear to something special but then what do you do with the dress when you're done with it? And obviously there's ways around it. There's websites like Rent the Runway that are great. Obviously there's resale sites that you can then repurpose the dress. But 
not everybody has the budget for that. And so I'm always looking for ways to choose items that I can see how the actual cost per wear will go down because it'll be versatile enough and workable for so many different scenarios. All right, those are two great tips, shopping at the thrift stores and thinking <laughs> about how often you're gonna wear that, is it versatile, uh, mm -hmm. your cost per wear, great, great mm -hmm. tips. So move, those are things we can move towards. What are some things our audience has to consider that they might have to sacrifice uh, in order mm. to make those eco-conscious purchases or there certain materials or colors that just don't jive with eco-friendly production? You know, luckily, I don't think in terms of materials, certainly, I, I generally try to stay away. But honestly, it kind of depends on what your value system is, because one person might say, I don't want to wear um, any synthetic fabric because the actual milling process of things like polyester and rayon can be so damaging in terms of literal pollution when it comes to, you know, the tiny particles that then end up out in the environment and the waterways and airwaves and such. But, um, but, but then there's other people who say, well, the farming and the pesticides and all of the other things that go into creating cotton are, you know, just as bad. So it's kind of like, you just have to, I think, see where your values lie, pick what resonates most with you, and then let that sort of seep into your decision-making process. Nobody's going to be able to have a perfectly sustainable wardrobe or a perfectly sustainable lifestyle, right? But um, again, looking for those places of resonance, I think is important. And luckily the, the technology, which is something that I'm super into uh, as it relates to specifically fashion and fashion production, is something that's becoming more and more advanced. I mean, any anymore, they're making silk out of spider webs, they're making leather-like materials out of dried pineapple and other, other things. It's fascinating to watch the way that the tech world and the fashion world are finally syncing up really in a creative way to, to come up with things that would um, maybe not have even been dreamt about five, even two years ago, you know? Yeah. that. Pineapple clothes, huh? Yeah, like pineapple leather is a thing. Awesome. Yeah, they're making like leather jackets and access and purses, you know, handbags and yeah. accessory out of pineapple leather. <laughs> wow, I get where the creativity exists, the solutions will arrive, right? We, so we, well said. Yeah. Yeah. So um, moving towards uh, minimalism for the closet, what, mm -hmm. what are your thoughts as far as that aspect of yeah. living these values? I, I mean, I, I think this is so personal. So it definitely will depend on someone's lifestyle in terms of what they're getting dressed for every day, but then also what their preferences are. Again, I am somewhat of a collector when it comes to <laughs> fashion. And so a minimal wardrobe means something different to me. Minimalistic wardrobe means something a little different to me than it might for one of my clients. Um, I'm a big fan of a capsule wardrobe. I don't know if you're familiar with that term, but it essentially means that you would... Um, cull down your items, your apparel and your accessories to this really tightly curated selection of things that every, where everything, it's a lot of times it's everything in the same color family um, and maybe complementary textures so that everything goes together. Like mm -hmm. you can mix and match practically everything. And each of the pieces generally has like multiple functions. Um, so you can see there would be, you know, a lot of opportunities to be very creative with that, but 
for some people, it's not as um, viable because they might, you know, have to have a certain amount of variety for whatever reasons. And um, one of the ways that I think it's fun to practice a capsule wardrobe, if people are maybe curious, but they don't want to commit to getting rid of a ton. I mean, I know people that have curated their wardrobe down to like 30 things and that's it. And for some people that's like, yeah, 30 things. That doesn't sound that bad. But for some people, I'm pointing at myself here. So <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll fill the listeners in since they can't see me. Um, it would be nearly impossible to curate down to 30 things. But a way to practice, if you're curious, would be to um, try it out the next time you're packing for a trip. And um, that's something that I sort of do just accidentally, um, or not accidentally, but I, I almost don't even think about it, is when I'm packing for a trip, I almost just automatically do what's called like a little capsule wardrobe. And it helps me practice this minimalist closet lifestyle. And what's interesting, and this is kind of something that I think um, is why it's such a good practice is that anytime I do that, especially on like a longer trip. So a um, handful of months ago, my husband and I went to Europe for two weeks. And again, I, we, we pack very efficiently because we wanted to be able to carry on the whole time. And so I was able to pack for that amount of time with very few items. But then I got back home and I realized, gosh, I really didn't miss, you know, like half my closet, that means what can I look at from that half of my closet that I don't need anymore? Mm -hmm. And ended up giving a lot of pieces to friends because, um, you know, it made me, it made me realize that maybe they're not as necessary as I think I am when I'm sitting here standing in front of the closet, realizing or thinking that I might need all of it. What a great realization when mm -hmm. you take that moment to step outside of your everyday yeah. reality and then experience something different, come back and reevaluate what kind you of liberating have. Yeah, it sounds like it. It clearly mm -hmm. made an impact on you. Mm -hmm. And you talk so well, you, you're going right into all my questions and <laughs> you're answering before I even ask them. Oh, uh, it's accident. The next one was a small step that oh, listeners yeah. can do. And I think the travel is an excellent uh, advice. It's something that's mm -hmm. applicable. It's going to happen. And now in a different framework of looking at it when they go through that experience. Is there any other small tips or something, say we're not going to travel for a couple of years. What's something mm -hmm. I can do uh, aside from the travel example to make a step towards minimalism or an eco-friendly wardrobe? Well, something that kind of, I think, kills the two birds with one stone in terms of minimalism and repurposing the clothing in a way that's, that's eco-friendly is I love hosting clothing swaps with my friends. And so, you know, here I just told you about how when I get all excited about my capsule wardrobe, it enables me to get rid of more things. But then it's like, what do you do with the things you're getting rid of? And that can be problematic as well, as you know. And so um, that was why I mentioned, you know, a lot of times I'll either give pieces to friends who I know will wear them or who've expressed interest, or I'll have a clothing swap where I'll say, hey, everybody, take a peek at your closet, look at the 10 things that you, um, you know, are least excited about at the moment or sick of, or whatever reason you're just not wearing it any longer, doesn't fit, can be any reason. Um, maybe like don't choose the things that are stained and gross and old, but who knows another person's, what is it? One man's trash, trash is another person's treasure. treasure. Yep, yep. Um, so anyway, so, and bring everything over, we'll spread it all out, make some um, snacks and drinks and we'll just swap and see what ends up, you know, coming home with you. And then the rest of it, 
um, I end up taking to a local women's shelter and they're always able to use things like that because um, even, you know, the stuff that ends up at thrift stores doesn't always finally get to an eco-friendly location um, or use. And so you have to be careful. I think we have to be careful with what we even do with our cast offs um, because that can be problematic. And, and so again, the clothing swap is kind of fun because it, it can be both geared towards minimalism, but also eco-friendly at the same time. Yep. I uh, was imagining that with a group of men and how I know, we, I know what I read to the actually, table. Yeah, I think it'd be different. It sounds very more exciting, would, but uh, that's just different. my male framework. You know? Totally. But here, let me say something to that, though. My husband does or he doesn't do something similar, but I was going to say he has a similar mindset uh, to myself when it comes to shopping and clothing and um, his closet. He's very uh, discerning when it comes to like what he hangs on to and what he buys. And one of the things that he's identified, he has like three guy friends who he calls his clothes twins. He's really tall and lanky. Mm -hmm. So there aren't, he's not like a super average build, I guess. Um, but he has a few friends, Santos and Andrew and um, Artie, I guess, are like his three clothes twins. And when he's finished with something, again, it's usually because he's either sick of it or you know, whatever the reason may be, maybe it, he's sort of not fitting into it as well as he'd like. Um, he'll, he'll ask his clothes twins before he sends it, you know, throws it away or sends it to the thrift store because sometimes they want the pieces. And again, depending on what life stage everyone's in, they almost end up doing it sort of in a less social yeah. way. It, it, it's an interesting thing to think about. And for me, and I imagine for some of our listeners is there's that comfort level of like, yeah. okay, well, I've been wearing this and is it okay if my friend wears it, if I see them mm -hmm. in it? Yeah. I, mm -hmm. But at the same point you come out of that self interest mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. then make it a shared experience where it just is another thing to bring you closer together or to talk about or to do an activity together. And mm -hmm. uh, it's something I'm going to have to think about. And I hope more people yeah. do. Uh, I was just imagining in, in my circle of friends, how, or how many men would come together with, um, the Aloha oh. shirts, right? Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's one of my shirts I'm picturing in my closet that yeah. I can't tell you the last time I wore it, but I keep it just in case. Cause just, you never know when you're having to go to a luau. Exactly. <laughs> so, all right. Thank you so much. That was fun. Uh, let's switch gears here. I want to talk about how you define success. Okay. You're doing so many different things in your career uh, and it's awe-inspiring. Thank you so much. Multiple oh. podcasts, hosting TV shows, events, your fashion line, styling and life coaching. And it sounds <laughs> overwhelming just to talk about it. So how do you define success these days? Well, to be totally honest, one of the, um, well, I'll answer your question first and then I'll t touch on how do, how do I make all of that work. In terms of success, um, you know, to quote something that I wondered if we'd actually touch on as it related to our closets, but it feels applicable now. I think looking at my life and recognizing the parts of it that bring me joy, um, in the words of obviously Marie Kondo and the craze that's happening with our physical curation of items from her uh, process, I, I do the same with my non-physical <laughs> parts of my life. And so I think when I feel the most successful or 
Um, if I could define success in that way, it's looking at a life that's filled with things that bring me joy. And when I say things, I don't necessarily mean the actual items. I mean the experiences. I mean the projects. I mean the relationships. Um, and so to me, the ability to build a career that involves a lot of professional projects that bring me joy is, I guess, what points to what feels like a successful career and a happy life. That's uh, a great piece of advice. So <laughs> I have another quote that I think yeah. will come off of that pretty well here. So Seth Godin says, Jesse embodies style and ambition in equal parts. So when you're talking about pursuing what brings you joy, mm -hmm. how, where did that fit in your decision to go into eco-friendly fashion? Hmm. What led you to that? Gosh. Part? That's a great question. I think probably this just deep seated awareness that, I mean, not to get overly spiritual or overly kind of conceptual here, but I really do think that we were put on this earth um, to steward it well. And anything other than that feels just so yucky to me. That's like the very ineloquent way to say it, but at a core level, I just can't imagine um, doing with what we've been given um, anything less than trying to be the best <laughs> um, at taking care of our planet. And I just, I sort of sounds trite when I hear, my say it, hear myself say it out loud, but I believe it with all my heart. And so in terms of going back to the values that I mentioned earlier, values-based shopping or values-based living, it's like, if we hold things like um, our environment to be a high level value for us, then of course it's gonna seep into everything else that we do. And so in terms of being a business owner that holds us that as a value, I think it's easy to make the decisions that I that I have because it sort of feels, it's almost automatic. It's like, if you really, really align your life with something, um, there's an ease to it or there's an obviousness to it. That's like, how could I, how could I choose otherwise if something like this is so important to me. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? I don't know. Absolute, absolute. And I'm going to dig deeper here. Yeah, go. The, the easiness, right? And the mm -hmm. moving forward. So often I hear, not necessarily from people I know, but in mainstream media and the mm -hmm. general consumer culture mm -hmm. uh, and business is that you, you have to trade profit for eco-consciousness. Mm -hmm. So with your business and your adventure yeah. and doing it with ease and joy how do you balance those two pieces and how does that well, relate to being a good steward oh my gosh it's really really hard it's really hard when it comes to profit that is a very very difficult uh place to be in but i'll say the the one word answer is diversification um, and so, for instance, one of the reasons why I do have multiple projects going at once is because my clothing line is not as profitable as it could be if I made decisions based on a, from a purely profit driven standpoint. Um, I could be far more profitable if I did things differently. 
and if I sacrifice some of the decisions that I've made um, because of not only uh, keeping the environment at the forefront, but also keeping um, social justice and human rights at the forefront. And that's another thing that's really important to me that I think um, sometimes, I, I didn't know if we'd get into this or not, but, and I'm sure you see this in a lot of industries, but specifically with fashion, one of the things that's happening right now is something we've been calling greenwashing. Are you familiar with that term? I've heard the term. Explain okay. how that relates to fashion. Well, so for instance, like a company like, well, actually, I don't want to call it out, <laughs> but there are companies out there, like company XYZ, I'll make yeah, one up. The, we're company XYZ, who's, yeah, who yeah. says, um, these leggings are made from recycled water bottles. And you're like, well, great, but you're making them in a, like, so maybe you're keeping water bottles out of the landfill, but you're making them in a sweat sweatshop that employs tiny children from another country who can't, you know what I mean? Like, obviously that might be an extreme example, but mm -hmm. that is an example of a place where, and again, that's probably not the best example of greenwashing. That actually is more of an example of what I was saying before, how I've tried to use um, multiple values as things that drive my work with season, which is the name of my apparel line. Um, but even looking at back to greenwashing, how there are companies who say like, we're eco-friendly and you look at maybe like they use recycled, you know, stamps on their envelopes or something. <laughs> you're like eco-friendly, like that's, to that's how, yeah, to what degree? And again, I hate to criticize because maybe everyone's doing the best that they can, but um, it's, it's almost like if you use those eco-friendly goggles, like the lens that you look through for all of the decisions, I think it's a healthy practice, right? And it doesn't mean that depending on where you're at in business, I'm just sort of speaking to entrepreneurs or business owners in general, depending on where you're at, what industry you're in, of course, there are going to be, um, I was talking to someone the other day, actually, who works in, she's um, in the medical field. And she was like, there's so many things that I don't have control over that I see that break my heart because I know it's wasteful, or I know it's like, opposite of eco-friendly. Um, but she's like, there's not a lot I can do about it because I'm not the powers that be. Right. And I said, yeah, but the things that you do make decisions about, if you could just put on those lenses of how can I use this decision to show love to the planet, mm -hmm. then that's, you're doing your best. And I'm big about mindset. Right. So I would argue that by making that your framework or your even just like um, using that mindset to make your own decisions, you never know. That could inspire and impact the decision making of the people around you, the powers that be. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they could see that and realize what you're doing, um, whether consciously or not, and think to themselves, well, I guess I could, you know, buy recycled paper for our printers and that could be my little contribution. Who knows? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know who the quote comes from, but uh, every journey begins with one step. Mm. <laughs> so you have to start, you know, and it just yeah. takes one step. It's easy to right. do one thing. Yeah. Uh, and then that builds momentum and you mm -hmm. can do something else. And then you yeah. people around you start to notice it and come with you and you gather that momentum collectively. And I think that goes back to the ease we were talking about earlier, because once you start with 
once you start making specific steps, they become, I think, habits. Mm. And you don't have to think about it as much. If something's a habit, then it's it's ingrained in you. And so then that's when it gets fun because that momentum, like you just said, certain things are habits. You don't you, you get to then pay more attention to new things and and then it, it's it's it grows and grows into kind of like the snowball effect of eco-friendliness there we go that's fantastic <laughs> and i hope mm. our podcast gets to help produce that you know i do too i'm well. so excited We're about what you so guys are doing things thank you <laughs> likewise so with all of these projects and businesses and uh, people you work with, the momentum you've built, what does a day look like in the like of life of Jesse? The life of Jesse, my goodness. Well, as I mentioned, um, there are a lot of things going on. And so I think one of the best parts about my kind of day-to-day, especially work-related life, is that I love having so many different projects going because my my mind is sort of a, a project. I, I have a, I have a very project oriented approach um, to my work, and I love that. You know, certain brains are just hardwired certain ways. Like that's that works really well for me because if I think if I were doing the same thing every day, I would get bored. And so um, every every day is different. Every week is different. Um, an example of some things that I've been working on this week is I've got an event this weekend. Um, and I don't know when this will actually air, but I do quite a few events. So <laughs> might be applicable depending on when people <laughs> listen. Um, and so, yeah, we do these seasonal events and uh, it ends up being kind of part style workshop, part um, social hour and um, where I host a group of women either at a boutique or in someone's home or at another venue. And I love using it as an opportunity to promote what um others in, a, in any community are doing um, to encourage women to live a flavorful life. And so this weekend, we're going to be highlighting some fun spring recipes. We've got someone coming who's doing a spring cocktail for us. I'll be talking about transitioning our winter, some of our key winter wardrobe pieces into spring, which again, kind of goes back to that cost per wear, you know, idea that we would be wearing or looking for items that we can wear throughout any season. Um, and then of course our season dresses will be available um, for purchase and that's kind of the trunk show part of it. But um, all week this week, my days will be spent gearing up for that. Um, and it's really fun because it feels like getting to throw these little mini parties that have a purpose. Um, and one of my favorite things about them is the chance to, to meet new friends but also to see and hear and learn from what others are doing in their own space. It's so inspiring to me. Yeah, it sounds like these events are very central to all of the other work that you're doing. Uh, mm -hmm. Chance to live it and see it and how mm -hmm. people experience it. And I imagine it's very rich in feedback for you. Uh, it is. And I think the hands-on experience of all these different parts of our lives are what show both the attendees and the collaborators you know, such a beautiful picture of how the things that we're creating, maybe especially as as entrepreneurs, might be, it's like getting to watch the consumer interact and engage with whatever it is you're creating. So powerful when it comes to then further iterations of that very thing, but also um, just gives you a better sense of what 
who we serve is looking for and then how they'll interact with the end product. And it's been, it's been a blast. Yeah. Has there been any feedback you've received that has changed direction or your direction or changed a product or a project in a significant way? Such a good question. Let me think about that for a second. I think, well, actually, hmm. It's funny because immediately my mind goes to really my only tangible product that I have is is our dress, um, which I, I've referred to the line, the fashion apparel line that I have a couple of times, which sometimes I feel funny calling it even a line at all because it's just one dress. Mm. And um, but so our dress is the only is the only physical product that I that I sell or create. Um, and so that would be, I'm trying to think of an example of that and nothing comes to mind, but what does come to mind is, you know, when I first started my business almost, well, no, it's been over 10 years. Yeah. Over 10 years ago was when I started it as a side hustle. And then this coming September, thank you. Yeah, it is a big milestone. (laughs) This coming September will be uh, 10 years full time on my own. So without like, you know, the fallback of something else going on of a full-time career. Um, And so when I started, I was doing personal styling. That was, that was the core of my business. And I don't actually do that any longer. And one of the reasons is because I would come into a client's home. I would be working with them in their closet with their wardrobe, going through the pieces and putting together outfits and very quickly realized so maybe not in an, in an event situation, but in a one-on-one situation, very quickly realized that so much of the problems that my clients were facing had to do with mindset and less of the actual items hanging in their closet hmm. or less of a knowledge about style or less of the actual trends or um, the types of things that we would maybe typically think about when it comes to fashion. So many times I would end up sitting on the floor of these closets with women and saying, maybe we need to talk more about body image and maybe we need to talk more about the psychology of what happens when we dress a certain way and, and what happens when we feel the ability to express ourselves um, in a way that feels like the truest version of ourself. And again, it sounds very airy fairy and, um, not at I all. Used, well, I used to apologize for it, but I'm learning that it's it's meaningful enough and can have a powerful enough impact on people um, that there's no apology needed. I mean, it's just it's true. And so that has shifted my work away from maybe more of the like, here's what you should wear. Here's the 10 key pieces you need for spring, yada, yada, yada. Yes, there are some tips and tricks that work for everybody, and those are fun to talk about, mm-hmm. but there is a deeper piece that I've brought into it all. Um, and that's the core of what I do now. And that's my favorite part of what I do now. That's awesome. Yeah. What an evolution, <laughs> right? And, right. I know yeah. it's so random. People are like, can you come help me pick out an outfit? And I say, sure, because then it's, it's a great starting point, but then we, we really go so much deeper. Um, but it's fun to do both. Let's, mm-hmm. let's talk about what's, on the outside and then let's mm-hmm. also talk about what's on the inside yeah and how they line up and exactly showing what you want to show 
Exactly. You get it. (laughs) I I don't get much about fashion, but I do understand (laughs) that we all live these very personal lives and fashion is something Mm -hmm. that is key to that expression. And there's so much deeper than skin deep, right? And those are the things that we can connect on and need to connect on so that we can have a fulfilled life. Indeed. So it's amazing how much thought and intention you put into your lifestyle design. And this is probably what we should expect from someone who's built their own lifestyle design system, which yours you call pepperology. Did I say Uh that right? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) How did you come up with that name? Well, so the name for my, my blog and my business came first, and that's Style and Pepper. And so that story is probably more interesting. And the brief version is I one day was on a flight and was reading a Bon Appetit magazine. Um, I love food. I love to cook. And there was this particular article that was about artisanal salt. And I was fascinated um, by the way that the, the writer who had done a beautiful job, I love, love reading great words. And so I was marveling at how the writer had drawn me into this article about some, I mean, salt, it's like, how much can you say about it? Right. But the, the first like few sentences, maybe the first full paragraph, I don't know why this occurred to me, but I noticed that the way they were describing the uses and importance and dare I say depth of salt and history of salt almost could be the same way you would describe style. And I thought to myself, gosh, it's almost like you could use, you could swap out, the, cross out the word salt in this whole paragraph and replace it with the word style. And the paragraph would still make sense, but it would just apply more to fashion than food. And I was like, that is such an interesting way of looking at things. It's almost like style ends up being a way to add flavor to our own life, which is when this whole flavorful life kind of approach was born. And then as I realized that I was using um, really just a newfound intention to design all parts of my life, and that was just based on kind of the stage of life that I was going through at the time, newly married, um, learning what it meant to create a cozy home, learn how to cook healthy dinners, not to say that I'm some like domestically um, you know, no, no, no need for domestic prowess here because I've made plenty of mistakes and burned plenty of dinners and all of that. But, uh, but I was figuring all of that out as a young woman who was, uh, feeling like that part of life was fun and interesting to me at the time, but also realizing that I had the ability to make decisions that had impact on both my family and my work and my body and my health and all of these different things. And so I thought, wouldn't it be fun to try to figure out the optimal and most efficient and exciting and fun ways to do all of this stuff? And so pepperology became what I used to call a five course study of style. And oh, it was pepperology is so much more fun to say. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, pepperology was this idea that so we've got style being kind of the salt of of life and then. I said, well, what's, what's pepper and pepper, if pepper's kind of the rest, um, what else, what else goes into creating a happy, healthy and flavorful life? And so that the study of that, uh, that's where the ology comes in. And then the pepper kind of is obvious, but, um, I began even just 
like it's like who has a lifestyle design approach well the only reason that came about is because i i was teaching workshops back then it was a full day five five topic workshop and that was why it was called a five course study of style but sort of um modeled after like a five course meal mm -hmm. and um that's how that's how the name came about and it's just been a fun sort of extension of my brand up until now well thank you so much what a fun way to conceptualize that and i appreciate yeah. how you take such complex and dissonant and separate things and combine them together and create this flavorful imagination and uh, picture that we can just hold on to and it's inspiring yeah. uh, oh, two, two words that have come up that you've mentioned and have been coming up in my life and conversations lately are stewardship and salt mm. and the way i heard you describe salt in this description and, and something came to me that there's a relationship there as well uh, tell me so salt you talk about how it brings out the flavor right yeah and it does it's really good at that but another aspect of salt is preservation oh yeah it, so good it removes the moisture it gets rid of the germs yeah. and the bacteria it doesn't allow it to grow it, it preserves our food food i have goosebumps it's exciting, what a isn't cool it? Connection, it's yes. So much oh fun. And stewardship is both taking care and preserving something, oh but gosh. also expanding and growing it. So in your business, you're taking care of fashion, but you have to do it in a way that expands it and expands your business's ability to continue to do that. And with the salt, yeah. as you apply it to fashion and style, mm -hmm. is it does add this flavor, but at the same point as you describe getting deeper into your personal image mm. and how you feel about that, or what pieces do you want to preserve? Yeah. Uh, and bring out through the flavor that you tie together. So the, you, you've inspired me and I appreciate that, Jesse. Oh my gosh, I'm just like, so tickled by that. I love it so much. Thank oh, you awesome. for sharing. Good. I hope other people do too. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, back to you though. So we just have <laughs> you know, only so much time together and I want to maximize that as well. So you do this podcast with your husband, uh, which I'm going to have to listen to more of. I just listened yeah. to one episode and it, it is a great listen. I enjoyed oh, it so good. much. So how did that come about? Uh, marriage is oh, funny. So talk yeah. to us through that process. Well, and you know, it's called marriage is funny because it is, uh, we truly believe that, um, you know, my husband is, oh, he's just the best. He's my best friend and you know, the love of my life, but boy, oh boy, after 12 years of being married, we've learned that marriage can be really tricky. And I think all relationships can be tricky, especially the meaningful ones. Um, I was just having a conversation about this with my mom yesterday, who my mom and I are really close, but um, I think with closeness can come challenges. And maybe that's why those relationships are as meaningful as they are because they take work. But anyways, that's probably another conversation. Anyway, my podcast um, with Gerard came about because we were experiencing a particularly challenging time in our relationship. We were, I guess we'd been married for about seven years um and we lived in new york city at the time which was a really fun chapter of our lives especially professionally we really um look fondly on that chapter i think because of what it meant for our professions but in terms of how it impacted our relationship it was a little rough mm. um and you could probably connect you know to really ambitious and uh, career-driven people in a city where 
there's so much going on. Um, it could be challenging for anyone. But um, anyways, one of the deepest parts of what I think was affecting our connection was that we had moved there from, we, we lived in the Midwest before that, just for a short time while, while my husband went to grad school. And when we, um, when we lived in the Midwest, we lived in Kansas City, Missouri, and we had such a beautiful, vibrant group of married friends that we basically did life with. It was almost like communal living because we all were in the same little, like really small um, radius <laughs> neighborhood. Um, and we would have dinners together several nights a week. We would, you know, work in the community garden together. We just felt like the, the richness um, that that provided for us allowed our marriage to thrive. And so then when we moved away, it was like there was a vacuum and, a, and that void really caused a lot of conflict for us. And I think it was largely because we didn't have, um, it's like we didn't have the ability to use our people, not use our people, but we didn't have the ability to, use, to allow our people to reflect back to us what we were experiencing between us. Mm. And so things sort of started to fall apart. And one time I said, this argument is getting so heated and so uncomfortable and feels like it's not going anywhere. I'm assuming most people can at least relate to one time in their life where even if it's not a romantic relationship, yeah, it's like there's, there's conflict in any, any relationship, but this was like, this was unheard of for us. It was bad. Um, and I said, there's no way this is ever going to end or go anywhere or be resolved unless we record it and send it to Rick and Joanna or Ben and Liz or Tim and Sean or whoever it was. And they're going to have to tell us, they're going to have to mediate and tell us who wins the argument. <laughs> and of course I was joking, but my husband goes, that sounds like a, a really horrible, but a sort of hilarious idea for a podcast. And I've, I probably slammed my you know, crossed my arms and slammed the door and walked out of the room or whatever, because he was basically deflecting what we were trying to figure out at the time. But I couldn't get the idea out of my head. And I said, what if we did start trying to have healthy conversations that we recorded for the sake of having a microphone to hold us accountable mm -hmm. instead of a group of friends around a dinner table, which is what we were used to. And so that's how the show was born. And it's it's grown into something that has had such a profound and beautiful impact on our marriage that I honestly don't know where we'd be without it. I don't think we'll do it forever, but it's been such an amazing experience. Um, and one of the things to bring it full circle that I think has been the best, one of the best parts about it easily is that it's provided the kind of community for us that we needed at that time through our listeners. But I also have watched it create a community for the listeners um and there's various you know a variety of different ways that we've done that but i when i get to see that happening my heart is so full and i just feel like it's one of those things where you say like even if one couple is helped from this it would be worth it but i know that we're helping couples all over the globe and um it's turned into one of the most fulfilling parts of my career easily awesome thank you for sharing that experience sure. and the podcast and uh i recommend it to other people Thank and I'll be you. coming back to it. Yeah. With all of this going on and your husband's uh, very ambitious as well. And uh, how do you two make time for each other? Oh gosh. Well, how do we, <laughs> if <laughs> I figure it out, I can call you back. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
No, I'm teasing. Yeah. Yeah. The podcast actually will. So one of the things that we say truly is that having, um, for us, obviously the podcast has become what we call a shared project, but it doesn't have to be a podcast for everybody. It could be, um, you know, picking up gardening together or, um, picking up a new sport or even just a shared interest in something that doesn't even necessarily have to be done together at the same time. Something that falls into that category for my husband and I is we both follow com comedy really closely and com specific comedians that we like. It's, it's almost like some people follow music and musicians. We are not super into the music scene. We obviously love music and we have music that we like, but we're not big concert goers because we love going to comedy shows. And so that has been something that even when we don't have the time to go to shows together, we can still consume things that are kind of in this category and then use that as a point of connection when we are, you know, last night, even over the dinner table, we were talking about, he was sharing the most recent comedy, you know, Netflix comedy special he'd seen that he really enjoyed. And um, we actually occasionally will perform at, you know, open mics and comedy hmm. together or separately. And so we're actually working on, my husband's working on a set for an upcoming performance. And so last night we were working on the set together and just even doing something like that feels like a deep point of connection because we have a purpose, but we're working on it together. Um, and that is something that always makes me feel more connected to him than, than I would if we were just like, sitting next to each other on the couch reading or doing whatever it is, you know, you might be doing together otherwise. You truly are an onion. Layers and layers, layers, right? And it can be tart and spicy or it can be sweet, you know. There you go. Good thing onions are versatile. And it's so could... awesome. So, uh, Let's go one more layer deeper on your let's family. Let's go, let's go. Okay, ready? <laughs> so I understand that you foster children in oh, yes. short-term emergency uh, yeah. situations. And I just, um, uh, beside myself, like after all we've just heard you know, <laughs> over the last 45 minutes here together, you're with your business, your podcast, now you're on stage doing a comedy routine with your husband <laughs> and you're both very successful and you're just laughing and smiling the whole way. And then oh. you have time to foster babies in emergency situations. Tell, yeah. tell us about that. Gosh, um, where do I begin? There's so much to say about that. I, so my husband and I have chosen not to have kids biologically and I feel really lucky in the sense that we both had that realization separately before, like just, I just knew, I think maybe not from a very early age, but I've known for a while that I, I wasn't pointed in the direction of being a permanent biological mom. And my husband feels similarly. And so in that sense, we've kind of always wondered then what it would look like to um, parent in other ways, I guess. Um, and actually, I don't know if this is kind of weird, but I, I was on a walk yesterday and as often happens, I, I'll get like random little ideas and then I'll sort of journal about it a little bit. And um, 
I don't know. Is it okay if I share this with you? Because it's related. Oh, this is fantastic. Like, let's go. Okay. Let's go. It's literally like three sentences, but okay. um, I just, I wrote down, what does it mean to redefine parenthood as living a life worthy of imitation? And isn't that the point, whether the children are biological or not? Uh, and then I just said, how would God have me arrange or decide if the responsibility involved bringing up more faithful followers of him? How would I eat, ask, shop, dress, host, pray, work, or believe? And then this idea of having little ones that come behind us like reflections of our own selves, in my opinion, is one of the most powerful ways to see who we truly are and as the way that we believe it would mean in Christ or otherwise. I think it's probably regardless of what someone's specific faith is, but just the idea that, you know, people, people build families in different ways. And for us, parenting has been a very non-traditional <laughs> definition of the word, but we, we really do believe that um, all human life is so precious. And there's an organization local here to us in Long Beach called Safe Families. And I know they exist in other parts of the country. I think they were actually founded and, and it began in Chicago. So I, I know they're in other states and cities, but um, it's an organization that encourages people to partner with um, essentially families who their kids might otherwise be taken away from them and placed into fo long-term foster care. Mm. Um, but in a lot of situations that doesn't necessarily happen because the parent is unfit to take care of their families, but there are other circumstances where they just need like a respite or, and one specific example that I use a lot because it happens more often than you think is maybe a single parent who is trying to get back on their feet and, and has like a slew of job interviews that they need to go on or has a medical, um, um, some sort of medical challenge that they need to get a procedure done for, um, or has like a death in the family that they need to travel for. In a lot of these cases, they have no other family or no other ability to find childcare. And sometimes the situations are far more dire than that. Uh, the way that it happens is we just get a text message essentially that says, um, I got one today and it was, it was just as heartbreaking as you can imagine because it, had to do with the family who's literally living in a park. And, you know, if a social worker knew that the mom had an 18 month old living there with her and her four year old, um, those kids would get taken away. And the mom is only in that circumstance because she's waiting for her voucher for the next shelter that she's going to go to that doesn't kick in until tomorrow. And so it's like, it's probably only going to be one night. And again, not ideal. I don't want those kids living in the park or the mom living in the park for that matter, but should they be with the mom? Probably more so than um, put into foster care for any other indeterminate amount of time. And I don't have any problems with the foster care uh, system in general, but there are situations like this where as long as, um, and, and the organization takes care of vetting the parent, making sure there's no abuse or addiction issues, making sure that the parent uh, and, and most cases, it's just a single parent. In some cases, there are two. Making sure that the child would go back to an environment that is safe and okay. And obviously, if CPS needs to get involved, they do. But um, it just feels like such a... Um, um, simple, 
meaningful way to use this spare bedroom that we have and this crib that we have and this um, set of uh, arms that I have ready to hug and love and prepare food for. And um, we also have an incredible community here where we live. Our neighbors are incredible. Our church community is incredible. And anytime we have a placement, people literally come out of the woodwork to love on these kids and bless these kids with clothes. And um, we're able to send them home with things like diapers and wipes and bottles and things that would end up blessing the family and basic needs. And then also just in encouragement and prayer and hopefully what ends up being a lifelong memory of a, a, a situation where they were meaningful enough to be cared for. And that's, I think, where um, the heart of it lies, probably, <laughs> is we want people to feel that. And this just happens to be a way that we're excited about and that works for our situation right now. Amazing. I, I'm a loss of words. I just, thank you so much. I'm really glad we got the opportunity to share that yeah, today. It was touching sure. uh, and sure. inspiring. And somebody today might be listening to that and say, hey, well, I would like to mm -hmm. participate. There's mm -hmm. clearly an overwhelming need uh, in that system. Uh, mm -hmm. How could somebody get involved or what do they need to know before yeah. they take that leap? Okay, two things. First of all, one of the things we hear most often from folks who are like kind of interested, but not sure if they're really interested, is they say, oh, I could never do that. It would be too hard to get attached and then have to give the child back. But here's the thing. You just think of it as being an auntie or an uncle, or even think of it as taking care of a friend's child or a niece or a nephew or whatever it may be. Um, and, and if you, if you come at it from that perspective, you're excited for the kid to go back with their parents because that's what the child and the parent wants. And so there's not, it's not like you're putting the kid back into an orphanage or another, you know, more sad situation. The child's going back with their parent and that's happy. So it, it and also no offense to anyone who says that, but I'm always like, which is more important, my my needs and my emotions, or the 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 precious little eighteen month old or eight month old? It's like easy, easy choice there, right? And so that's the first thing I would say. Um, the other thing I would say is most of uh, it can sound daunting, and one of the reasons why we haven't done full blown foster care yet is because we're not fully ready for the commitment that goes with the time. Um, invested into that. And so one of the reasons why safe families is fantastic. And if you just Google safe families, I think it's safe hyphen families.org is probably the website, but I can double check and you can probably throw it into the show notes somewhere. Yeah, but, um, uh, the, honestly, the hostings that we do are anywhere from, um, well, we haven't done any one night hostings. I know they exist, but usually it'll be like the shortest being a weekend and the longest being a week or two. So they are pretty short term in the sense that, you know, you can, you can get through anything <laughs> that amount of time. Um, and so, yeah, I would just say, give it a go. I mean, if it's something that you feel called to and you're interested in, obviously I'm a, a walking Testament, but if anyone ever has questions, they can email me directly and I'm happy to talk more about it because it's been such a wonderful experience. And, um, the other thing too, it's so interesting because, you know, 
in most cases, these are kiddos that we're probably never going to see again, just based on the nature of their own lives and the, the fact that we live in a big city and that's just how things work. And um, that's okay. But I will say one of my, one of the bright spots in the last few years for me was when my husband and I were actually out to eat and we were sitting at a little, like a, a outdoor table at a cafe and there was a lull in the conversation. We both sort of like glanced off in the same direction at the same time. And we both were, were paying attention to this family getting off a bus at a bus stop really close to where we were standing. And we saw the family of this child, our very first placement. And it was like wow. a year after. And when we had him, he was eight months old. He couldn't walk, he couldn't talk. And we saw this family. I'm, I have full body goosebumps right now thinking mm -hmm. about it, but it was one of those moments where you realize like, the parents, we didn't go up to them because the parents wouldn't have maybe wanted to make a big scene and we didn't know if they'd even recognize us. The child definitely wouldn't have recognized us. Um, but we recognized them and the ability to see that they were okay and seemed to be thriving, relatively happy, safe, taken care of um, was so meaningful and has driven really the rest of these decisions to stay involved because we realized that even though it only might be for a weekend, it does make an impact. And so I would say if someone's interested, you just never know what an impact your 24 to 48 hours could have on one of these kids. And um, that alone is what keeps us going. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So in order to do all of this, you have to be in a good space uh, personally, you know, mm -hmm. and physically and mentally and emotionally and, and, what are the things that you do to take care of yourself? Oh man, gosh, I, hmm. I mean, I could take this in a ton of different directions. I, I love health and wellness. I'm very, very interested. And I guess I'm, I'm probably a hobbyist when it comes to like healthy eating and nutritious food. Um, so that, you know, at a very like basic level is something that I do to take care of myself. Um, I, I already mentioned, I love to cook. So that, that plays into a lot of kind of the way that I take care of myself in that sense is just, um, making nutrition, nutritious meals for myself and my husband. Um, I love working out. I'm a big fitness junkie. I went on the best rollerblade of my life on Monday. I have to tell you, we live really close to the beach and there's this beach path. It's like full for, from like the beginning of it, which is pretty close to where we live all the way to the end and back is 10 miles. Wow. And it was a beautiful day. I feel so lucky to live in Southern California on <laughs> months like this that are in most parts of the country, typically rainy and still cold. Um, but so yeah, getting outside, I would say is another way to take care of myself. Um, honestly, mentally is, you know, another big aspect of the way that I take care of myself. I had a wonderful counseling session with a therapist that I see every other week yesterday. And even just driving home from that um, and feeling kind of the sun stream through the car windows on my, the skin of my arm and my face. And I just felt um, really so blessed. I feel like gratitude is another practice that has um, encouraged me to look at so many of the different ways that I can use my blessings to be a blessing to others and viewing life that way just seems to be um, one of the true keys to our happiness. And I've seen that. And I feel the ability to say that comes from 
being someone who has struggled with depression and anxiety, um, both in a clinical circumstantial, or both in a clinical and a circumstantial experience, um, but also as someone who works with women who sometimes are struggling. Um, I had a client that I was coaching last week who's going through a particularly bad bout of postpartum depression. And obviously that's a chemical thing, right? It's hormonal. Um, it's relatively common. It's not anything to panic about, but it of course impacts her life. And of course plays into the things she's feeling challenged by right now. And um, I could even see, you know, even though I've never had postpartum depression cause I've never carried a child, but I, I felt like this keen sense of even thankfulness for the own, for my own dark periods that I've gone through in my own life, because I felt like it gave me and gives me um, the ability to be empathetic toward others. And so even looking for ways to be thankful in the spots where we don't feel like our lives deserve that much thanks, mm -hmm. I think is what provides the beauty and the contrast, mm -hmm. right? And you can't have light without dark. And so if there's uh, not enough of one or the other, we don't see we don't see the contrast that life has to offer. And contrast is one of the things that creates beauty in a literal visual composition aspect. And I think it applies um, in a conceptual sense as well. Beautiful. What about what a roundabout way of answering that question? I it feel is, like. But the, there was a lot of goodness there, and uh, <laughs> you can't just do one thing to take care of yourself, right? It's true. A, a holistic true. look, and and I love all the fun stuff too. Systems and... I mean, yeah, and the sport system is key. Friendships are key. Um, spirituality is a huge part of that for me, um, of how I in terms of how I take care of myself. But I also love things like skincare and. <laughs> nail polish and like I love a good juicy novel like there's so many things that I I do to make my life more flavorful and I I think that's what it boils down to probably is um, taking care of myself means living the most flavorful life that I can so that I um, uh, can inspire and then actionably take care of those around me awesome this has been so much fun for me, Jesse. I just really appreciate this conversation. Oh Before we let you go, there yeah. is a speed round with some short question yeah, answers. We're going to add some spice and flavor uh, to our audience and letting them know who you are. So, ready? Okay. Yes. Favorite green fashion brand or muses? Ooh, okay. Um, so, Mara Hoffman. Love everything she does and her line and just her intention behind it. Um, and then Eileen Fisher, who's pretty much like the OG of um, eco-friendly fashion, um, but who is really it, someone who used to be kind of like, and I say this lovingly to mothers everywhere, but like your mom's brand. That's who you know? was coming to mind. Yeah. <laughs> it was my but mom. <laughs> she, right. Okay. Yeah. So, but she is doing and has always done pretty revolutionary things in terms of the industry. And I would say um, because of a recent burst of probably interest in eco-friendly fashion has this uh, new customer base of people that are modern, young, and um, 
it's kind of fun because then that resurgence is allowing them to invest a lot more into, I would say this like up and coming generation of shoppers. Um, and so the designs are becoming more modern and fresh and it's been really fun to watch. So awesome. Yeah. All right. Favorite snacks you're obsessed with right now. I love snacks. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I love snacks. Okay. So one of the things I'm having, maybe not daily, but several times a week. Um, so I do my, my main like dietary restrictions are I'm grain free and sugar free. And those I follow really closely for health reasons. Um, but there's a cracker from a company called Jill's. Have you heard of these crackers? Jill's crackers? I don't think it's, so. It's spelled with a Z. So it's J I L Z Jill's crackers. And they're made from seeds. There's there's, it's like flax, hemp, sesame, um, Maybe there's pumpkin seeds in there too. Anyways, they're these really delicious crackers. They come in all flavors. Um, and so I'll take like a handful of Jill's crackers and then um, spread them out on a plate and then top them with tree line cashew cheese, which is really good. Almost tastes like cream cheese, okay. um, but it's cashews. dairy free. And I do, I do eat regular cheese, but I don't remember the last time I bought a, a brick of cream cheese just because this cashew cheese is almost better. Mm. So I top it with, the cashew cheese and then sliced um, grape tomatoes. And it's so good. And then sometimes, have you seen at Trader Joe's the everything bagel seasoning? Yes. Oh my gosh. So then I sprinkle that over the top or I add like maybe some hot sauce or something and it's so, so good. Wow. Okay, now I'm hungry. Thanks. I know. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> it's so good. All right. So how about a book, podcast, or movie that you're most excited about right now? Oh my gosh. I am reading this book. Um, called Getting the Love You Want by Har Harville Hendricks, I think is the name of the author. I might be butchering that, but and I don't have it in front of me because it's back in the back. Um, it's one of those books, definitely geared toward married couples, but it's written by a psychologist. And then I think his wife kind of co-writes it or like chimes in here and again. But one of the things I, I love about it is it explains... I'm not even halfway through and I'm already rationing how much I read each time I sit down to read it because mm. it's so good. And it's almost like one of those things you sort of want to like chew on a little bit before you keep going. But one of the things I love about it is it explains why so much of what happens in our early developmental years ends up affecting um, who we choose, why we choose them and whether or not it ends up lasting in terms of, who we end up partnered up with. Uh, and so that's been really eye-opening for me and I'm recommending it to everybody, especially anyone who's married, because um, again, every time I pick it up, I learn something new about myself and about my husband and it's been very helpful. <laughs> awesome, well, I'm going to be adding that to my list. Do. All right, last one, value you are most trying to live right now. A personal mm -hmm. value that you're actively working on right now or mm -hmm. trying to live every day. I don't know if this would be, well, I don't know. Is this a value of self-awareness? I think if I had to expand on that, I would say um, just recognizing that who I am is um, less about my, my mind and what's happening in it or my body and what's happening on or in it, more about um, my awareness of the two and how they interact and what I do with both. Yeah, it sounds like a value to me. 
You know, okay. <laughs> I was going to say, I haven't really answered that question um, ever. And so that's just something that I've been mulling over and sort of trying to, um, I guess, prioritize in terms of seeing how it affects all of the other areas of my life. Yeah. I think the way you apply it and describe it, it is a value. It's adding cool. and increasing to yourself and to others around you. Yeah. Awesome. So where can our listeners find you? Gosh, well, if they want to come hang out online, I'm at Style and Pepper on all the channels. And then if they want to find out anything about any of my many projects, the best place to go is jessierteague.com. And then that links out to both, um, you know, the podcast, the dress line, the blog, all of the other places and things that I'm doing. Um, it all kind of lives there in my little internet home. Fantastic. And we'll link to all of those in the show notes. And cool. again, thank you so much for your time and your stories and your genuine generosity and spirit of storytelling. Uh, oh, it's been fantastic. Welcome. Anytime. So, <laughs> awesome. If you're interested in having more conversations like this of your own, you might want to check out our community on Facebook. The group is called Slow Crafters Living a Mindful Life. The group already has some great conversations going, but over the next several months, we're gonna be going live with experts. So you can ask them any questions of your own, and we're going to be revealing some really cool projects we've been working on as well. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and consider sharing with one friend who might need to hear what we talked about today. Thank you, and enjoy your slow crafted life. <laughs>